0: We're going to be in Genesis uh, chapter 17 and 18 this morning. I'm going to read straight on through, so if you want to find the first section in Genesis 17, we're just going to be reading verses 15 and 16. And then if you want to take a second and mark your place in Genesis 18, we're going to be reading verses 10 through 15. So that's 17, 15, and 16, and then 18, 10 through 15. We're just going to read it. It's one piece, more or less. And if you're using one of these Bibles provided, it's on page 12 and 13. It says, God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time and your wife Sarah I will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself, after I, have come, but after I have become shriveled up and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, you did laugh. This is the word of God.
1: Well, I want to extend a special welcome myself to the mothers that are here. We're so glad to have you and honor you on this special day that occurs once a year in our calendar in America and uh, and England as well. It's called Mothering Sunday, in fact, in England. So we are grateful to be able to uh, honor you this morning. Uh, let's pray, and then we will look at God's Word. Father, thank you so much for drawing us to this place this morning, and again, setting us before your Word so that we can be instructed and helped and encouraged by the things that we consider Lord, we pray that those who are with us this morning, especially the ladies and mothers, would be encouraged and find themselves refreshed and find themselves with new faith this morning and the ability to continue on in this good work that you have called them to and to do it with joy and to do it with confidence and to do it with hope and to do it with um, a real sense of peace and reward that you are using them. Lord, we pray that this would be a morning of great encouragement. For the sake of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Well, the uh, first Mother's Day uh, was celebrated in 1908. 1908, and it was founded by a lady named Anna Jarvis. About six years later, um, our President Woodrow Wilson signed it into law, actually as national holiday. And ever since then, it's been a celebration for Americans. We have celebrated it. We have. Uh, honored mothers in a very special way. And in fact, it's, as you can well imagine, the biggest day in the floral industry. You might be thinking, what about Valentine's Day? Well, no, not Valentine's Day, because not everyone has a a girlfriend or a fiance, but everyone has a mother. And so it's the largest day for the floral industry, and it's a massive day in our culture. And if you think about it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of grace upon our culture that we still celebrate such a thing because it's a very biblical thing to celebrate. And so we have a few things left in our culture that people, that we will continue to celebrate and that's God's common grace upon us. But what we owe our mothers could never be paid back. I mean, there, there's a story of a young teenager I love who was about to head off for college and on his way to head out, Um, he was reflecting back on the allowance money that his parents had not yet given him. So he thought through it, and he calculated that it was $400 worth of allowance money. And so he took a little piece of paper out, and he wrote on there, Bill, $400 for unpaid allowance. And he set it on his mother's pillow. Well, a few hours later, he came back to his room. And lo and behold, he had a bill of his own, sitting in his own room. And the bill read this. It said 18 years, 15 hours a day, seven days a week, skill level, administrator, counselor, manager, chef, educator, chauffeur, and cleaner, $20 per hour, bill, $1.8 million, (laughs) minus the $450 for unpaid allowance, equals a grand total of (laughs) $1,799,550. Well, I love that story because it illustrates a great point, doesn't it? What an amazing debt, if you think about it, we owe our mothers. And how thankful we should be. In fact, on a spiritual level, I mean, it's easy to rip through weeks, if not months, and and, and not really reflect carefully on what our mothers mean to us or give adequate thanks to God for his provision in giving us the mothers that we have but it's important for us to remember this morning that honoring mothers is not Hallmark's idea. Honoring mothers is God's idea. And in fact, in the fifth commandment, we read, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land. So we're not doing this because it's a cultural holiday. We're doing this because a fifth commandment calls us to do this this morning. And when you think about motherhood, you may not always think about it in terms of privilege. Am I speaking to any moms this morning? You may think about it in terms of stress or pain or trouble or difficulty. In fact, one woman, uh, I was reading an essay this week, and she put her finger on the struggle of motherhood in a humorous and clever way. Here's what she says. She writes, it hits on a dull overcast morning, Monday morning. I awake realizing that I'm out of milk and I'm suffering from seasonal allergies. So I say aloud to myself, what's a nice girl like you doing pent up in a house like this? The clothes are dirty. The arms of the sofa are coming through. There's Christmas tinsel growing out of the carpet. And some clown has written, go cats in the dust of my coffee table. It's these rotten kids. It's their fault I wake up feeling this way. If only they would let me wake up in my own way. And why do they have to line up along my bed and stare at me like Moby Dick just watched up on a beach somewhere? (laughs) Well, if there's something that resonates with you in that, then it's imperative that we get some fresh perspective this morning. Because from God's word, there is hope for us. And we're in a room right now filled with imperfect mothers. Just, I mean, it's just a fact. And there's a wide spectrum of mothering that's represented today. In fact, in preparation for the sermon, I read another piece by a gal named Amy Young, who paid tribute to all kinds of different mothers. And I thought this was helpful. Here's what she said. She said, to those who gave birth to their first child this year, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or children running away from home, God forbid we grieve with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, we walk with you. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, or spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, praise God, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and fractured relationships with your children, we feel for you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hand of your own mother, we hurt for you. To those who are single and long to be married or have children of your own, we pray for you. To those who are pregnant with new life, we are excited for you. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on a complex path. To those who long to lavish your love on grandchildren, but for one reason or another, that dream has not come to pass, we think of you. And to those who will have empty nests soon, we acknowledge you, and we think of those who are living in that now, and we acknowledge your struggle. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And no mother is perfect. I think that's painfully obvious. And so we need fresh faith for the task ahead of us. And I want to give you this morning some fresh faith by looking at a story in the Old Testament in Genesis. And Jason already read from this passage. And I want us to draw some encouragement from a woman in the Bible who was a very imperfect mother. Okay, And so we turn to Genesis chapter 17. If you're not there, go ahead and turn there. And we're going to look at the story of Sarah. Now, Sarah, the Bible says, was a remarkably beautiful woman. Um, Abraham says so. In Genesis chapter 12, 11, Abraham tells her, I know what a beautiful woman you are. So guys, husbands, just a little tip. That's a great verse to put in your card on Mother's Day. And if your wife is currently serving in the nursery, you get a pass. So maybe you can write something on a card later. Anyway, the name Sarah actually means princess. And it could also mean, which is interesting, there's kind of, depending on, there's a a couple of different understandings of the word Sarah. It can also mean argumentative. It's really interesting, princess or argumentative. And actually both have really good solid weight. There's a good reason to argue for both. And so um, we could put those together and we could call Sarah a feisty princess, But Sarah was a feisty woman. I mean, if you read anything about Genesis chapter 17, 18, when you're in the text, you see she's quite a feisty woman. We see this in chapter 21, verse 10, as Sarah actually stands up to her husband and she says some really bold and courageous things to him in 21, 10. And she actually looks at Abraham in the face and she says, cast out this slave woman with her son. Now, just remember, who's who's she talking about? What son? She's talking about Abraham's son, Ishmael. So she looks at Abraham says, get your son out of here with this slave woman. So she was very feisty. But then God says to Abraham in verse 12, this is interesting, speaking of that very incident, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. That's interesting. So she's a strong woman and God approved of her wisdom and counsel in that situation. And, you know, we should thank God for strong and courageous women. I mean, for some guys, especially guys that are very strong and tend to be very domineering and very bold, they need a good, strong wife to hold them in check. Now, if you tend to be more weak or passive as a husband or a leader, then that's a different situation. But if you're a very strong man and you tend to be too strong, God oftentimes will give the gift of a strong woman to those men to hold them in check. But Sarah was a less-than-perfect mother. And we know that because she had a less-than-perfect husband with a less-than-perfect family and a less-than-perfect faith. Does that sound like anyone else you know? Well, let's look at each of those things this morning. Sarah first had a less-than-perfect husband. When we pick up the story in Genesis 12, flip back a few chapters, when Abraham goes to Egypt... And Abraham knows that when he goes to Egypt, this is going to create all kinds of problems. Why? Because of Sarah's beauty, he says. She's so beautiful, it's going to create issues for them. And so he encourages Sarah to lie. And then in chapter 12, verse 13, he says to Sarah, Say that you are my sister. Remember this passage? And so he tells her to do this. And then and he does this, the text says, because he wanted to be treated well for her sake. Uh, Paraphrase, He did it for a selfish reason. He wanted to be treated well. In other words, Abraham was motivated by selfishness, and he's quite happy to dishonor his wife in the process as long as he gets taken care of because, man, he is number one, and he's looking out for himself. So he's far from a perfect husband. I mean, not only that, but he dishonors his wife, and he breaks what would become the ninth commandment. He encourages her to lie. Abraham. Abraham, just bold-faced lie. And Abimelech, this wicked man, calls him out on his sin. And he says to Abraham, you have done things that you should not have done. Now listen, if you get called out by a wicked man, that's messed up. If a completely wicked and and lost sinner comes up to you and says, "You've, you've, you've done what you should not do, that should be deeply convicting to us. And so here we have this wicked man rebuking Abraham for lying and for not trusting God. That is convicting. And so Abraham was a less than perfect husband. I mean, clearly. And that's relevant for the husbands who are here with us this morning. Because we are acutely, at least we should be acutely aware of our imperfections. Our many imperfections. See, the problem with marriage is that the best thing you can possibly do in marriage is get married to another sinner. That's the best possibility. And somewhere shortly after the honeymoon, you begin to realize, I am hitched to another sinner. That's true. And and it happens pretty quick. You realize, okay, we got two sinners here, and this is really practical for us because if a wife... Begins to look to her husband to be everything she wants him to be or a husband begins to look to his wife to be everything He wants her to be then they make an idol in their heart And every husband and every wife Hangs on the grace of god on a continual basis So there's no perfect husbands no perfect wives and sarah certainly did not have a perfect husband abraham was not that So here's a woman without a perfect husband. Number two, she had a less than perfect family. As Sarah grows older, this becomes clear because Sarah grows desperate for what? Desperate to have a child, a son. And she becomes desperate about the fact that she's not given birth yet. And so some of you this morning know that pain. Some of you have lived that. It's a very relevant story for us. And so Sarah got to the place where she would do anything to have a family. And there's something to be learned there. We see in the second place the temptation to make an idol, listen, out of having a child. That's possible. To want a child is normal. To need a child is idolatry. And if we ever get to the place of saying, I have to have a child or my life isn't really worth living. Then we have created an idol and we have said that God is not enough. And we do this in subtle ways. I mean, friends, we can do this over our marriage. It can happen with our children. We can do it by trying to win the approval, kids, of our parents or parents trying to win the approval of our teenagers, To want things is normal, but to need them as idolatry and may God keep us from that heart. But Sarah's desperation to have a family, what did it do? I mean, it led her to do some crazy stuff. In fact, Sarah gave her servant Hagar, her house servant Hagar to Abraham so that Abraham would have a child through her. That's probably not going to be a good plan. But she goes forward with it because she wants a child so bad that she's willing to give another woman to her husband as a means of trying to get a child. That's a terrible idea. And Hagar conceives. And and Abraham went along with it, by the way. And and Sarah conceived, I mean, sorry, Hagar conceives and they name him Ishmael. And Sarah's decision carries with it some terrible consequences. In fact, it says in Genesis 16, 4, that Hagar despised Sarah. And then we read in verse 6 that that Sarah treated Hagar very badly until eventually Hagar moved out of the house, just left. So the tension now, it only mounts and begins to grow when Isaac is born. And on the day that Isaac was weaned, we read in Genesis chapter 21, verse 8, that Abraham holds a great feast. And by this time, Ishmael would have been like 12 or 13, okay? He would have been a teenager. And Sarah sees Ishmael, Hagar's son, laughing at the whole thing. Abraham's trying to prepare a feast. There's Isaac. We're going to celebrate the fact that Isaac's been weaned. And Ishmael's in the corner just laughing. This is so dumb. He's laughing. I hate this thing. This is just so... And he's mocking the whole thing. And here's what happens. When this takes place, Sarah sees Ishmael laughing And you can imagine how this soured the whole atmosphere of the family and the party. And it would have made life virtually unbearable for everyone. And so Sarah says, get him out of here with him and the slave woman. Get them both out of here. I don't want him in this house. Sounds like an unhealthy family environment. A pretty seriously unhealthy family environment. And what does Abraham say? Does Abraham just say, okay, yeah, you guys go. No, Abraham says, no, he's my son. So now the conflict is escalating. He says he can't go, he's my son. But then in 2112, God affirms Sarah's wisdom and tells Abraham, no, listen to Sarah and do what she says and send them away. And so suddenly the family is divided. Listen, and the home is broken. Now we, we got a broken home here. Abraham has a broken home. And some of you have felt the pain of a broken home. And all of us in here, all of us have certainly felt the pain of a less than perfect family. Does anybody have a perfect family in here? And so God's word speaks, listen, into the wreck of our families. And gives us hope. It speaks into the gloom and darkness that's cast over our homes as we feel the crushing weight of our own failure. That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible says, is your family messed up? Is it jacked up? Is it seriously messed up? Then I've got hope for you. And the Bible just comes in. and just brings a ton of mercy and grace upon disaster and brokenness. And it says to us, stand up, put your chin up. There's hope for you. Because there's a savior who can fix and redeem and heal and mend and correct and change and transform over time your broken and messed up family. Praise God for that hope. It reminds us, the Bible reminds us that we all hang on the very mercy and grace of God. And so if we're trying to create the perfect family, we're making what? An idol. And that idol will crush us. I mean, I think this is the reason why so many people live in just depression and discouragement during Christmas. Christmas season comes. Everybody wants to have this perfect Christmas family, perfect Christmas holiday, perfect Christmas tradition. All the things, all the parties. They look at other people and say, these guys seem to be having a great thing. Look at their Christmas card. Look at all these beautiful kids and the way they're dressed up. And look at it. And we start comparing and all this stuff. And you start thinking, well, my family doesn't have this Hallmark postcard Christian look. I mean, we don't have all that. And the wife starts thinking, I don't, you know, I'm not happy here. And the husband's like, Yeah, well, I don't have to. And then the family's just messed up, and they're trying to have this Christmas thing, and the whole thing's a big wreck, and it's a big mess because we are trying to have something that, at some level, listen, hear me, can't happen in a fallen world. You can't have a perfect family in a fallen world. That's the point of living in a sin-cursed world. It's not possible. Now, I hope you have an awesome Mother's Day. (laughs) I do. I want you to have an awesome Mother's Day. And part of the reason why you're going to have a good Mother's Day is to realize that I can take my imperfections into Mother's Day and it's okay. I don't have to fake it. I don't have to act like I have, I'm a perfect mom and we got a perfect family and man, we are awesome. I don't have to fake it. I can be real and just say, hey, here's all my imperfections. They stink. I don't like them, but Jesus is big enough for that and he covers it and we're going forward. And that's what enables us to move forward. That's what enables us to have hope this morning. And so Sarah has a less than perfect husband. She has a less than perfect family. And thirdly, she has a less than perfect faith. And we see this in Genesis 18. Sarah has a less than perfect faith. And God says, Sarah will have a son. And Sarah laughs to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, Sarah has, listen, it's important to know that Sarah has genuine faith in God. Okay. She does. It's there. Something's there. But trusting God in these final years of her life was so hard for her that she ends up making a mockery of God's promise. See, for Sarah, it's inconceivable. It's inconceivable. Literally, it's inconceivable that she would conceive at this age. And if you turn to chapter 21, verse 6, you see that she now has a baby in her arms and is laughing, but laughing this time with overwhelming joy because the promise of God was stronger than her weak faith. Amazing what God does in her life. You see faith is like an open hand to receive God's promise. And Sarah extends her hand and it's like really shaky, like really, really shaky. And she's kind of even laughing about it. Like this isn't going to happen. This is a joke, right? Me having a child at this age, and she's got this shaky hand, but at least her hand was open, right? At least her hand was open. Shaky or not, she's extending the hand. And don't miss this, God puts into that hand more than she could ever have imagined. That's grace. And aren't you thankful this morning that God's promise is stronger than our faith? No one has perfect faith. No mother has faith that's strong enough to complete her task without grace. I mean, even a mature mother finds herself saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The truth is, there's no way a mom... Hear this. There's no way a mom will be able to make it to the finish line successfully without God. And there's no way that she'll get there without deep faith in God. Because without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. And that means every day mothers need to make certain decisions in faith. So that today they can continue with God's help. And so to encourage the mothers here, I want to mention four critical Faith choices that you need to make every day. Four critical faith decisions or choices that you need to make every day. Here they are. All right. Number one, number one, a mother needs faith to train her children from day one. David says in Psalm 22, 9, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. I mean, so early on, what David is saying is I mean, from the get-go, from the whistle blow, from the opening tip, from the very start. God was at work in his life. Spiritual matters were part of his life from the very first day. And David isn't the only one. I mean, the Bible is replete with witnesses and evidences to this fact of training from day one, from my mother's breast, from the womb, from the very first day, there's training, spiritual training that's going on. David was set apart. He was consecrated to God from his mother's womb. And we set our children apart. And from day one, we commit moms and dads to set our kids apart and to train them step by step each day, every day, the mundane, going through it to train them for the sake of Jesus and for his glory. And many people in this room, which is a great testimony, would say, I can't remember a time when I was not instructed in the scriptures or the Bible, or I was not a time that I was not at church. And that's merciful. Praise God for that. If that's your testimony this morning, but others of you cannot say that, but listen, if you can't say that you can leave a legacy with your kids so that that's what they grow up with. But see, the tendency today, I don't know why this is, it's laziness or something, is to put off spiritual training until later. But, but the Bible assumes that spiritual training is happening now. It's happening now. It's happening yesterday. It's happening this morning. It's happening this afternoon. This is the time to do it. Proverbs 8.1 says, My son, hear the instruction of your father and listen to this. Do not forsake the law of your mother. It says it again in Proverbs 6. And one of the things that we see here is the involvement of a mother in the training of her children. So just in case anybody's under this myth, let's go ahead and dispel the myth once and for all that it's the dad who does all the spiritual training. Proverbs is clear. It's not just the dad. The mom takes care of the affairs of the house, yes, in some ways. But the dad also takes care of some of the affairs of the house. And the mom and the dad both share in spiritual training. It's, it's all together. It's a joint project. And it's not right to say that only dads do this. And moms should be a big part of the spiritual training of their children from day one. But there's a tendency to say, you know, I'll, I'll get around to this later. I'll take care of this in a, few, in a few years, you know, when the kids are older. You know, I mean, after all, I mean, what can you really teach a baby? I got a six month at home. I mean, what can you really teach Arian? I mean, I hold a little Bible book in front of him and he's just drooling on it, you know. What, what can I teach him? And then toddlers, you know, Judas running around everywhere grabbing stuff, playing with his truck and his motor. What can I teach him? I can get him to sit still. And then during elementary school, you know, I mean, they really need to focus on the big things. Like they need to read and write. And I mean, after all, how can they read the Bible if they can't read and write? So we need to put that before we need to you know, make that a priority, reading and writing. And then middle schoolers, I mean, what can you really teach middle schoolers in the midst of so much change? And then in high school, you know, well, it's time for these kids to start kind of making their own minds up and start reaching some independence, right? So that when they get to college, man, they are really independent. And they, And what have we just done? We've ripped through... The entire upbringing of our kids. And we haven't given them any serious or conscientious training in the instruction of the Lord. And before you know it, the time is gone. And so moms, let me just lovingly remind you again that the time is now. This is the time. This is the prime opportunity. And some of you may be sitting here this morning saying, you know, I think the prime opportunity has passed for me. I, I blew it. You know, I, I mean, I, I've, I've, I'm feeling terrible right now because I'm thinking, man, I've, I mean... The, it, let me tell you something. Your influence is not over yet. It's not. It's not over yet. Not over. You still have an opportunity to speak into your children's lives. I mean, even if they're older and they're out of the house, you still have the, you still, you're still mom. You're still mom. And so go to them with boldness. Hear me. Go to them with conviction. Go to them with clarity and tell them to put their faith in Jesus. Help them, encourage them. It's not too late. You say, well, you know, I blew some of those early years. Okay, well, let's bury that in Jesus, all right? Let's let the sin of that is covered by the cross and let's move forward today and let's be bold with our kids and let's trust God to still move and still work. That's faith decision number one, to train our kids from day one. Number two, a mother needs faith to train her children to honor mother and father specifically. I mean, over and over in the Bible, 13 times in Scripture, we hear this, children, obey the Lord and honor your father and mother. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Jesus repeats it several times. And then Paul mentions it again in Ephesians chapter 6. Why, why, why do you think it's in the Bible so much? Well, I, it's amazing to me when, when we go out, when Miss Tina and I go out and, and uh, we're eating out or we're at the mall or doing something, it's amazing to me how shockingly disrespectful kids are to their parents i mean it's it's to the point to where it's like it's ridiculous i mean it's i can't believe the kind of stuff that happens and and these kids, the way kids speak to their parents and men there is nothing that should cause the hair to rise up faster on our necks than when our kids disrespect their mother snap back at her say some nasty thing or or have a proud and angry look on their fa- face And we must not tolerate that. We must lovingly and gently and biblically teach them to obey their mothers with a submissive attitude. And that's what it means to honor mom. So dads, let's not drop the ball on this. Let's help. Let's serve in this way. And if dad is not around for one reason or the other, because you're a single mom, then we want to help you with this. We want to provide a mentor Dad, or somebody who can get in the life of your son and encourage him and walk alongside him. We love you and we want to serve you. If there's a way that we can do that, talk to us about that. But moms and dads, to let our kids talk back to you and to give you a proud or a wicked look is not love. It's not patience. It's not easygoing, laid back, cool, hipster parenting. It's sin. It's not cool to be that kind of a parent. It's like, oh, you know, I I mean, I just, you know, I'm pretty laid back with them, you know, and things like, that's sin. It's just complete, total sin when we let kids do that and dishonor their parents. And if we do not instruct our children on this issue, they will dismiss God too with a wave of their hand, just like they dismiss you and disrespect you. I mean, if they're disrespecting you as a parent, When they're teenagers, I mean, they just wave their hand in total disrespect of God. It's it's a character issue. So a mom needs faith to encourage her children to honor father and mother. Number three, a mother needs faith to encourage her children to, this is a huge one, put God first. To put God first. And here we turn to Hannah. So flip over to 1 Samuel Chapter 1, go to 1 Samuel, and we're going to look at Hannah just for a second. Hannah is uh, one of these all-star moms in the Old Testament. And uh, for some of you, you might hate that because you always feel like you can't measure up, and you've got to look at these you know, these all-star moms in the Bible, and you feel like, man, I can never live up to that. But listen, there's a the great thing about Hannah. What you may not know about her is that she lived with tons of pain, tons, Hannah is one of these moms in the Bible that struggled with infertility. I mean, Sarah did too. think thinking about old Sarah was before she gave birth. And here we have Hannah struggling with infertility, really struggling. And, and, so, and we're always sensitive to, to this on Mother's Day. I mean, it's such a discouragement to live through months and years of infertility. And Hannah was going through that. And in 1 Samuel, her husband Elkanah shows up. And this is one of these areas of the Bible where it's almost humorous. I mean, this guy's like a, a, a doofus. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. The guy, the kind of stuff that he does is unbelievable. He's, and he shows up and he says to her, she's weeping, okay? And, and she's crying over this infertility and is struggling. And he says to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? And he says to her, why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? I, I think it's that kind of tone. <laughs> why are you sad? Why are you, why are you not eating? Like, why are you sad? What's wrong with you? It's that kind of tone. Well, first of all, that's a really dumb question. I mean, he, he ought to know, of all people, he ought to know what's going on. And Elkanah isn't exactly the most sensitive husband on the block. And then he says to her, this is unbelievable, in verse 8, am I not more to you than 10 sons? Okay, just when you think this guy can't get any dumber, he says that. Am I not more to you than, I mean, his wife's weeping over infertility. Am I not more to you than 10 sons? I can think of about 10 things to say to that guy, but I'll resist. I mean, you just want to snap back at him and just be like, you idiot. This guy is, is, is just tearing his wife to shreds. And then what does she do? She's so broken, she goes to the temple and just starts crying out before God. Just weeping, pouring out her heart, her broken heart before God. And for some of you, that's all you can do. You're living with a terribly insensitive or distant husband And you just cry out to God. And I want to tell you this morning that if that's you and you're in that situation and you just feel like, I can't, I don't have a listening ear with my husband. Nobody understands my situation. That might be an overstatement, by the way. But nobody understands my situation. I'm feeling just completely. And you go to God and you begin praying. Keep doing that because God hears you. He hears you. Did he hear Hannah? Did he? Yeah, he heard Hannah. He heard Hannah and Hannah goes, God, I want this baby. I just, here's what I'll do, God. If you let me give birth to a son. And what does she promise? Verse 11, 1 Samuel 1, verse 11. What does she promise? She says, I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. She makes a vow before God. If you give me a son, I'll give him back to you, Lord. I love that. And what happens? God is faithful and he gives her a son. And over time, she has many children. Some ladies struggle with infertility for years and then they get pregnant and bam, 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 bam. Start having kids. And this is what happened with Hannah. But this, when her first son was born, his name was Samuel and she takes Samuel uh, and and notice what she does. She keeps her promise. She takes her one little boy up to the temple and, and just as an aside, just notice how early on she's training Samuel. She's taking him up to the temple. And he's just a little, little child. And then it says in 1 Samuel one twenty four that when she had weaned him, notice his age, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her and slaughtered a bull. And verse 27, she says, the Lord has granted my petition. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. Like that language. I lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. So what she's saying in essence is you can use him, Lord, you can borrow him. You can take him for your service. And so in chapter two, verse 18, it says that Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child. So there's a little boy, he's ministering in the temple, in the tabernacle. And, uh, and so that, it's amazing that the spiritual training that must have taken place to prepare him for that but that was her only son, her only son at this point, And she gives him to the Lord. And so what, what am I saying here? I'm saying that a mother needs faith to encourage her children to put God first. I mean, she could have selfishly said, no, I finally have Samuel. He's my little boy. I love him. And we're going to do some stuff together and we're going to plan. I've got a great thing planned and, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to train him. And we're going to have tons of fun and I'm going to see him grow up in my home. You realize that She's at least two days away from Samuel when he's in the tabernacle because he's in Shiloh. And she's in a totally different city. So if she even wants to see him, she's got to go two days journey. She's not even with her boy. She's lent him to the Lord. A mom needs faith to do that. To let a boy go to the mission field. To see a son go off to college at a Christian school. to To let your daughter to move away to another state with a solid Christian husband, that's going to be a long way away from you and the potential of not seeing grandkids. A mom needs faith to give their daughters and sons to God first. Amen. Mom and dad, trust God with your kids. He gave them to you and you can give them back to the Lord. Here's my words, you lend them to the Lord. Follow Hannah's example. Number four, and this is the last piece here. A mother needs faith to keep doing the little unnoticed things. Just stay right here in the story, okay? We'll just stay here because there's just so much lesson here. Uh, 1 Samuel 2, right here in 1 Samuel 2. Samuel verse 18, it says, Samuel was ministering before the Lord and his mother used to make for him a little robe. And take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Now, does that have mother written all over it or what? Hannah used to make him a little robe and take it to him every year at the yearly sacrifice. I mean, I just see mom written all over that text just love that verse. She has one son and she sends him away to serve in the tabernacle of Shiloh, two days away. She lends him to the Lord, but she misses her son. She wants to do something to bless her son. And so she starts knitting this robe for him and she finds little ways to bless him and take care of him. Now, I know it's a different culture that we live in, but I'm sure Samuel was very grateful for his robe. I'm sure he was genuinely grateful for his robe Thankful in that culture to receive that gift from his mom, excited in some ways in his own heart. But still, I wonder how excited a young boy would be about receiving a robe each year. Just asking the question. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, I'm just asking the question. I mean, certainly in our culture, it would be difficult for kids to receive as their main gift each year a robe. I, mean, I don't know how many parents are putting a house coat under the Christmas tree or a row, but that's probably not scoring huge points with the kids. I mean, how about another gift like an electronic device, a new phone, or some sporting equipment, or something else? And I realize this is a different culture, but here's the thing. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. Mom is doing, Hannah is doing the function thing. Hannah is doing the... And there's something beautiful about this. I mean, this was her thing, if you know what I mean. It says every year she did this. She did it every year. And I I just see so much of my mother's heart in this. She's doing the thing that has to be done. She's doing the right thing. She's doing the functional thing. She's doing the necessary thing. He can't serve in the temple without his robe. He needs a robe. And so she makes him one. It may not have been the new toy that he wanted... Samuel was a boy like the rest of us men. May not have been the thing he wanted, but it was a necessary thing, wasn't it? The functional thing. And there's something beautiful about the heart of Hannah because she's doing what really matters. She's not just trying to thrill him for, you know, a couple of days. And this is where dads, we always mess up. Dads get all the glory. We step in. We always try to do the fun thing, which is good, and the popular thing with the kids. And dads like to wear the party hat and have all the fun, get the kids together, get them all excited, go out and do some fun games with them. And the grandparents and the cousins and everybody else seems to be having a good time. And there's mom slaving away inside, slaving away in the kitchen, slaving away with the laundry, slaving away inside. There's mom living in the mundane, doing the function thing, grinding it out each day while everybody else is having a great time wearing their party hats, running around. And it can feel depressing for a mom to look outside and see everybody having seemingly so much fun. And she's inside doing all the hard, difficult work. And it requires faith to do the little unnoticed things every day. But it's a faith choice that needs to be made. But hear me, moms are doing the real work that matters inside. Of course, it's great to have fun with our kids and play and run around with them, but the real work, the hard work, the spiritual work is the work that's being done inside. And so often other people get the applause. And we don't always deserve it, but there's mom plugging away and being faithful and doing what matters one wiped rear end at a time, one lunch packed, one morning or evening routine, one ride to practice at a time, or to or to camp or to or to this event or that event day after day and year after year and we need to praise and thank our moms for that for this work moms need faith to keep doing the little mundane things that always go unnoticed it requires faith to trust god mom that someday or perhaps in eternity that those kids are going to turn to mom they're going to look her in the face and say mom Thanks, thanks, Mom. You were the one behind the scenes doing all the critical things for me that didn't get noticed or praised. But those things made me the man or woman I became. Thanks, Mom. I love you, Mom. Thank you. That's right. That's right there why we take a day each year to especially honor mothers with us. So, Mom, you just keep plugging away. Just keep plugging away even when you're not noticed and the God who sees you in secret rewards you and openly. And if your kid grows up, your son or daughter grows up to be a strong man or woman in the Lord, it'll be well worth it. It'll be well worth it. So that's my encouragement to you. There it is. Those four simple critical faith decisions that moms need to make each day. Mothering is about trusting God. It's about drawing down upon his resources for you. It's about coming close to him and getting his resources to see godly virtue formed in your child's life. So continue to connect your motherhood as tightly as you can to deep faith and trust in God. Take whatever season of life you're in. And connect it strongly to prayer and faith and trust and hope in God. It's what you need to do as a mother. So we've seen this wonderful woman, Sarah. We've seen this wonderful woman, Hannah. And what we've seen in Sarah's life is that Sarah had a less than perfect husband. She was a less than perfect woman herself. She had a less than perfect husband, a less than perfect family, a less than perfect faith. But here's the thing that I don't want you to miss and I want to send you home with. She had a gloriously perfect Savior. And so one final scripture is Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And I want to read this because it picks up the story. I mean, it just carries the story of Sarah over. And it says the scripture, Galatians 3, 8, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, by faith, preach the gospel beforehand, preach the gospel to Abraham saying, and when I say Abraham, I mean Abraham and Sarah preach the gospel to Abraham and Sarah saying in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And just take that in the gospel, this good news that Jesus is coming to save us from our sin through his death and resurrection so that all the nations might be reconciled to God by faith. This gospel was announced to Abraham and Sarah and what Paul is saying is that Abraham and Sarah were looking for a redeemer. They're looking for a hope. We're looking for something to come through their line. And they knew that despite their many imperfections that God would somehow bless the world through them. And they found joy in that promise. It says of Abraham that Abraham believed and it was accredited to him as righteousness. And so that's what Sarah, That's why Sarah later on could rock little Isaac in her arms and laugh with joy. Knowing that God was at work doing something. Take your kids and if you have little ones rock them with joy, knowing that God is up to something good. And if they're grown and old, continue to pray and invest in them, knowing that God is up to something good. And if your kid's in jail and he's lost and he's run, he's run away, continue to pray and get on your knees, knowing that God is up to something good. He's got a plan because in and through the line of Sarah, God will bless the nations and the gospel has come to the Gentiles and we are those people and that gospel is being announced to us. And our kids are coming to know Christ. And you say, I've got three or four kids that are lost. It's not too late. Oh, may God come with converting force upon your family and raise up your children. And you say, I've, I'm, I'm 50 years old. I'm tired. I'm almost, I'm pushing 60 and my kids are not walking with God. Listen, there's still hope. Your kids are still alive. And we are going to pray as a church that God would raise them up from the ashes and make them a beautiful trophy of God's grace. So trust in him. Continue to trust in him. And his promise is no less true for us this morning. Less than perfect mothers with less than perfect husbands, less than perfect families, and a less than perfect faith. You imperfect mothers, you need to trust in this redeemer. Your life does not depend on the support of your husband. It does not depend on the harmony of your home. It does not depend on the strength of your faith. It depends on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Sarah can, if Sarah can find peace, so can you. And I close with this. I want to speak to those who are feeling crushed, By the weight of your own hopes and dreams about your marriage, you wanted something more for your marriage, your husband, your kids. You wanted something more. You look at your own life and you wish you could have some do-overs. But listen, you don't need any do-overs. You need a redeemer, one who has come to bind up the brokenhearted. Your do-over isn't going to fix it. If you had a do-over, you you, you might mess that up as well. You don't need a do-over. You need a Christ. You need a savior. You need omnipotent, all-powerful God at your disposal who comes into your wreck and your, and your wake of destruction. And he says, I'm going to remake this. That's what you need. And that's what you have. That's what you have this morning. Christian lady, listen to me. You have Jesus beside you. The son of God walking with you, beside you, equipping you, helping you, giving you faith. And isn't it great news that you're not justified this morning because you're a perfect mom? Every moment of impatience and anger, whatever it might be in your life has been covered by the blood of Jesus. And you can labor knowing that you're not justified by your motherhood. So replace your feelings of failure and anxious toil with a fresh commitment to live in the good of the gospel. Come to Jesus afresh today. Confess your imperfections. Thank him for the mercy that flows to you each day. Rejoice, find peace and rest. Let the burden be lifted. Knowing that Jesus walks beside you, he walks beside you with a less than perfect husband, with a less than perfect family, with a less than perfect faith, and he invites you to find new rest and new hope and new strength in him this day. So let me pray a prayer of blessing over you moms, and we'll close. Lord Jesus, we pray for every mom here that they would be like a fruitful vine in their home. And that their children would be like olive shoots around their table, as the psalm says. That as they fear you, trust in you, and hope in you, that blessing would come in the form of seeing their children follow and worship you. And God, we pray that their work as mothers would affect not just the present generation, but generations to come. That a godly heritage would continue. God, that you would encourage their heart and the heart of each mom today and remind them of the privilege they have and how significant their work is. Yet in a way that does not crush them, but gives them joy. Lift up their eyes to see you and give them fresh faith today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.